Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. This is a podcast from Minute Media. I mean, this is what you play the game for. You you play to face the best, um, you know, especially deep in the season. uh, You know, you grind out here in the NLAs to, you know, you face so so many tough opponents that, uh, you know, you want to go out there and match it and and beat them. Um, And so, you know, it's rewarding when that happens. And he rockets that one out to left field. Rosario takes a look at it. It's out of here. Pete Alonso with another laser beam home run. Vogelback drives one to deep right field, and that ball's out of here. Back-to-back home runs for Alonso and Vogelback, and it's 5-0 New York. 3-0 to Arcia, and a check swing. Tapper, it's a fair ball. It's going to end the game on a 3-0 pitch. A check swing grounder. Diaz handles itself. The ball game is over. Arcia grounds one in the hole. On the backhand, Lindor out at second. McNeil the first double play. Side retired. Beautifully done. Lindor on the backhand starts the 6-4-3 and gets Peterson through the top of the fourth. And he strikes out Contreras. Really hides that ball behind that big frame and good changeup. 1-2 coming. Struck him out. Got him with a fastball. Two strikeouts in the inning for Peterson. Just ties him up inside. And that's in there for a ball strike three. Got him looking at a high fastball. Third strikeout for Peterson. That's a big call for him. Yep. Huge. Well, he should be. Yep. Swing and a miss. And Harris is down the slider. Second time Peterson struck him out. Well, good slider here. We've seen some uh, good changeups, good sliders. Swing and a miss. Olsen fooled badly on the changeup by Peterson. And that's the first out. Five strikeouts for David. Slams one to deep center field. Back goes Harris. Going back. Warning track. And it's 
Now they're saying it's in play. And two-run score. I thought that hit the black. I thought it hit on top of the wall. Right on top of the orange. No, nope, you're right. It hit the pass. It's hit on the ground. And the throw is going to come home. Get the out at home. 2 2 coming to Acuna. Struck him out. Slider fans Acuna, and that's how the night begins. And he gets the slider, can't catch up with it, and Scherzer's got back to back strikeouts to start the night. And the curveball struck him out. Wow. And he strikes him out with a fastball, 96 for Max. Five up, five down, four strikeouts. And he gets the call there on Adrianza. 2-2 to Swanson. Got him looking. Fastball on the outside corner. Six strikeouts through the first 11 batters for Scherzer. 1-2 coming. Struck oh, him out. Boy, he's wicked. He was helpless against that slider. Oh. Got him looking. Fastball on the inside corner. And Scherzer fans a Kutnia for the second time. 1-2 coming. Struck him out. Got him with a cutter. That's nine strikeouts for Scherzer. One two coming. Struck him out. Ten strikeouts for Max Scherzer. Fifth time this year he's reached double digits. And 109 times now in his career. Struck him out. Max Scherzer strikes out the side of the seventh inning. Seven scoreless innings. 11 strikeouts. Scherzer doing what's necessary. Wow, what an inspiration. 2-2 to Swanson. Struck him out. And there's the record. 1,518 strikeouts for Jacob DeGrom, the most ever for a pitcher in his first 200 Major League starts. 2-2. Struck him out. 1-2 to Contreras. Struck him out. 14. Another swing and miss at a slider. That's nine strikeouts for DeGrom. 1-2 to Grossman. Struck him out. 1-2 coming. Struck him out. 2-2 fastball. Swung and miss. Strike three. The Mets celebrate the return to City Field of Jacob DeGrom, who throws five and two-thirds perfect innings. And the Mets take four of five from the Braves to stretch their lead to six and a half games in the National League East as they beat Atlanta five to two. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, August the 8th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the Talking Mets Podcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. 
And you can show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as RisingApple.com. Welcome to a Monday edition of the Talking Mets Podcast with the later start to yesterday's ball game. I figured I'd start your week with another edition of the show. And do I have to introduce the show any other way? And I hope you enjoyed Once in a while, we do those montages. The montage of highlights from this past weekend, the five-game series. You all know it. Mets just won four out of five from the Braves and really put some distance between them and the Braves and the rest of the National League East, taking care of business. Yeah, I stole it. You know, you know, we talk about the history of the Mets. We talk about the Mets prospects of the future and now, but lately we've been kind of conjuring up all sorts of history. And if you're a Mets fan of even a younger Mets fan, taking care of business, that was the post game theme after every Mets win in 2006. And yeah, this weekend had a little bit of a, 2006. Look, it, I hate to say this, had a little 1986-1988 feel as well with uh, you know the, the Pirates coming in in 88 or the Cardinals in 86 or you know the Mets just running through the Phillies uh middle of the season in 06 had that kind of feeling. You learned something and you really knew this about the Mets, but I don't know if we really knew how tough this team is and they just wear teams down, and and the additions that they brought in with Vogelback, Ruff, Naquin, guys like that, have just added to that and have actually enhanced it to another level. Yeah, they've got really good starting pitching, and they've got an elite, dominant, the best closer in the game. There's a bit of a soft underbelly in the bullpen. We'll get to that. But they just wear you down, wear you down. And I think this series, you know what I think it turned, in my opinion, was Friday night. Because after the big win on Thursday, the Braves are frustrated. Arcia check swings at the 3-0 pitch. And, you know, the Mets have their own little home run fest. Ball was carrying on Thursday. Very, very humid weekend. Hot. I shouldn't say humid. Hot weekend here in New York out at City Field. You figure they get ahead 8 nothing, And they're going to have their own little laugher. And the Mets are going to go fade into the night. All right. You know, we'll see you tomorrow for the doubleheader. And although the Braves won that ball game, they had to work a little bit. They had to bring their closer in, Kenley Jansen, to win that ball game. And let's face it, guy throwing out the plate here, Pete just misses a home run, two run home in the first inning. That easily could have been a much closer ball game than it turned out to be a three-run ball game. So on that Friday, when the Mets made it so hard, a game that the Braves normally have uh, been winning easily throughout the last couple of months. I mean, let's face it, since June 1st, They've essentially played uh, slow-pitch softball with the rest of the National League, except the Mets. And the Phillies have actually played them pretty tough, too, and the Phillies are playing really good ball during that that span, too. So by Saturday night, when they were about to lose the second game of the doubleheader, I was just trying to observe in the field the Braves' body language. And, I, and, and Acuna was, was a perfect example. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. It just looked like they were tired. Look losing ball games, things not going their way. You know, if you listen to Spencer Strider, the Mets, all they do is get lucky. And here it is. They're, they just want to get off that field, and you can just see their body language was one of 
tired. That's the only word I could I could think of. I don't think frustration. I don't think anger. Tired, maybe a little frustrated, but really, really tired. And that's because of the Mets just grinding them out. Every inning is tough. And as Mets fans, you guys in the audience on the other side, you're thinking, wow, you know, how can they think we're tough? Look, you've got Acuna and you've got uh, Riley and, you know, Rosario. You got to watch him, a veteran that has, you know, even the old uh, Mets friend Darno. Everybody in that Braves lineup seems to have uh, tough at bats, but it's a different type of situation. It's a home run or nothing. It's that anxiety from knowing that at any point in time these guys could pop one and a four-run lead could go away in an instant. You almost saw that Thursday night. You almost saw that the first game of the doubleheader on Saturday. The one thing I will say, you know, I don't agree with, and and I've seen, you know, some members, there's people all across Bravesland, mainly fans, but Strider is kind of, and I don't think the Mets care, but there'll be bulletin board material for sure. Accusing the Mets of getting every call, soft contact. I mean, the strike zone stunk yesterday on both sides. Let's face it. I I think it was C.B. Buckner. And, and was it not the Mets that had the bad luck of a ground ball hitting the umpire game one on Saturday? You know, maybe Peterson got a call here or there. I seem to remember a couple of weeks back in Atlanta, Peterson not getting a call and an inning spiraling out of him. You know, that's part of the ball game. If I count all the bad breaks the Mets have gotten in the you know this year or you know in the last two decades how many good breaks the Braves have gotten for at least three decades you know we'd be here all day that's all we would do the Braves are not used to this kind of level of competition now I think the Braves are a good team I know their record against above 500 opponents doesn't reflect that but the Braves are a good team they're a really tough team and their bullpen is really good their starting rotation is really good and when you have a baseball team like Atlanta that can hit the ball out at any time. All it takes is a bloop and a blast. I know that's a corny old saying, but it's true. It's like, uh, I'm going to use an NBA term. Here you go. Go to your bingo card. It's like the Golden State Warriors with three-pointers. You're never, the game's never over. Because all it could take is a couple of turnovers, a couple of threes, and all of a sudden, a seemingly comfortable lead is close. That's how I feel the Braves are. But Spencer Strider is right. It's only August. So you can't get too crazy. But, What you're starting to see from this team is something that, and those who are long-time Mets fans, they know it. A team in a special season, even if they don't win a championship, but they go deep into the season, they go deep into the postseason, they start to hit a stride, no pun intended, and they get to a next level. And things just snowball in a positive way. The last time we probably have seen something like this is August of 2015. You thought you started to see some of it in August of 2019, but the the clock struck midnight, and that team didn't have enough. But really, the best analogy is August of 2015, when from really the trade deadline when Cespedes came to seemingly the, the last out of the World Series, the Mets played at a very, very high level. Yeah, they had holes. They had That team had situations. We don't need to get into that now. That made it not as good maybe as uh, what they turned out to be, which was pennant-winning team in the National League. But they started to hit that level, and it got fun. And those final 12 weeks were some of the fun, best 12 weeks of baseball that I've either covered, uh, you know, watching the game, watched as a fan, and we're seeing that right now. And I'll tell you why. 
And I'll start when you talk about the Mets. I'm not yet. I haven't even got to Degrom yet. Uh, I don't want to start. I don't give winners and losers on the trade deadline. Just like I don't give winners and losers at the winner meetings and things like that. But every single move that Billy Epler made in the month of July, leading before and leading up to the deadline, when I first heard about it, whether it be Vogelback, Ruff, Naquin, I, when you get that turn your nose up, we're like, eh, well, what do they give up? And I didn't like the Vogelback trade at all when I first saw it. And look, you could have certainly used Colin Holderman this weekend. So there was some pain with that. But all three of these guys are much better than I thought. And they've lengthened the lineup, and they've made this a tougher lineup. And I think part of the frustration from Atlanta is that the team they saw in Atlanta with the Jankowskis and the Inciartes and Dom Smith and J.D. Davis – that was a team that had some real tough grinding at bats, but there were pockets and holes in that lineup, including they still have one with the catching situation. Although Tomas Nito is starting to hit the ball a little bit better, I have to say. Um, they could navigate some of those soft spots. So instead of putting up an eight spot um, or a six spot or a seven spot, Mets were only scoring three or four runs, and, and the games were close. Home runs matter. Look, I I know I I'm not the, I'm not a fan of the, the the three true outcome people: the walk, the strike, or the home run. And I do like how the Mets have approached their offense with contact and working counts. I mean, old school. I've said it. You're starting to hear the media pick up on it. Late 1990s Yankees baseball. I mean, Billy Epler comes from a Yankees background. You're seeing a lot of Yankees in the Mets, this Mets team. There's all these connections. That's the crazy part. Buck Epler, whatever. And now you have a lineup that just, maybe it's not sexy up and down, but it grinds you to death. And you look at guys that could come in and contribute. I mean, how many times we talked about that this uh, during the Subway Series with uh, with Matt Carpenter, the Jose Vizcainos, the Glenn Allen Hills, guys who call on the Yankees and put on the pinstripes, and all of a sudden they're all-stars. Now, I'm not saying that's what's happening here with Ruff, Vogelback, and Naquin. The Mets' pinstripes don't evoke the same kind of uh, elite level of jump that, those who can put Yankees pinstripes on get, but I think then the, and this is where you got to credit probably the analytics department, the kind of out, out of the box thinking when they saw the prices in the market getting a little too hot and heavy teams like the Nats, maybe not liking to uh, deal with them. You knew you couldn't get high level offensive pieces. So what do they do? They go out and they get Vogelback who against right-handed pitching from a runs creation standpoint is a top 10, 15 player, Darren Ruff. Against left-handed pitching, top 10 to 15 player in the league from run creation. Uh, 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 Hits with runners in scoring position. Naquin, I didn't understand that one at all. Nice little player. Has pop, could, you know, gives you the things that you want that Jankowski was really good at, like uh, base running and defense, but could hit. It could hit with power. And Naquin also, maybe not top uh, 10, 15, but right outside of that, in terms of how he produces against right-handed pitching. And now you can hit home runs. So a game that would be a, a close two or three or four-run game, all of a sudden you get a five- or six-run spread, and a team like the Braves, while they're trying to shoot their three-pointers with their home runs, yeah, they're going to get them because they're, they're a good team. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't have the same damaging effect. And this is a team right now that, as currently constituted, should average 
what we thought our calculator was going to uh, tell us that they would average, which is the 5.2-ish runs per game. They were more a half a run less. They were pointing more downward to four and a half runs per game, which is more than enough when you have the kind of starting pitching they have. But it, it, the margin of error is squeezed over there. Let's not forget, when you start to look at how the offense is performing, these component players that the Mets had the ability to go out and get and probably overpaid for at least one of them in rough. Not so sure that Holderman for Vogelback is an overpay. I think Vogelback's a lot better. The more I look at it, I mean, remember, Vogelback was a second-round pick. Naquin was a first-round pick. Ruff was a guy that was later in the draft. But Vogelback, at least Vogelback and Naquin, these were big prospects. I mean, Vogelback was a big prospect, top 12, 13, 14 prospect in the Cubs organization. So, you know, they aren't chopped lever. Maybe it's taken them a while to to get uh, to the best version of themselves. But, it, but anyway, my point is, let's not forget that now you have Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso leading the way. And maybe, maybe, even though we had this shotgun marriage, even though the marriage came uh, together because the Mets and their new owner wanted to make a statement, maybe they overestimated who Lindor was. But over the last, if you go to baseball reference and go to the splits, over the last 365 days, a calendar year of games, Lindor's played about 141, 142 games, maybe a little bit more. He's hitting, uh, you know, he's got an 800 OPS, 28 homers, 104 RBIs, and he's playing top five defensive uh, performance at shortstop. You give me a shortstop with 28, 800 OPS and elite defense at shortstop, you're going to be in a good place. And 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 he doesn't, he's not, like I said, he's not rare donias. I've said this before. He's not flashy. But he gets the job done. And I will tell you, and we won't appreciate this until the day where he's not playing short. He plays every day. Uh, there's a lot of balls that he makes look easy, that he gobbles up and makes an easy play, that I promise you were not that easy. And you're not going to know it until it's gone one day. But um, have I have I changed my opinion on a 10-year contract with Lindor? No. But this, at least in the meat of the contract, in his prime, into his hopefully, you know, the, the the early parts of his late prime, the five-year window. This is the version of Lindor you're going to get. This is a really good player. This is a player you can win a championship with. And he's yin and yanging with uh, Alonzo as the best player on the team. You know, Alonzo's providing you the power. Alonzo's providing you... I mean, he's becoming an overall complete, in front of our eyes, a really complete offensive player. I mean, Alonzo is not just a slugger. He's not up there just swinging from his heels. He's not the guy that you saw during the pandemic season that you were worried was becoming uh, a bit of a 220, 215, 35 home run guy that just wanted to win the home run derby. He is truly, he's, you know, he's, he's emerging into a bit of a Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, I think, you know, he's mentioned Paul Konerko. I mean, guys that were pretty complete, good offensive players, probably better than Paul Konerko the way he's playing now, but, you know, he's evolving. And then we would not we would be remiss. We cannot do this show without talking about the pitching. And you guys all knew Jacob deGrom, who he was. And the best part about this season is that up to the last week, and I didn't talk a lot about deGrom on the last show because it was the, the deadline show and it was all about the moves and the reaction to the moves, but we almost forgot how dangerous this team 
could be. And we only saw it one time this year before this week. It was in spring training when DeGrom and Scherzer pitched that exciting ball game that meant nothing but really gave you a feel of what could be. But wasn't great against Washington. It's crazy as it sounds. I didn't think he was great against Washington. I mean, not great for DeGrom basically means giving up what, one, one run. And uh, you're surprised where a couple of guys get, get around on him. But what we saw yesterday against Atlanta, and this is why the Strider comment is so foolish, is probably, and I'm about to make a statement, and you know me, I don't like hyperbole. I don't like to say declarations that it's the best of. But the the five and two-thirds before the walk on the home run to Swanson that I saw DeGrom pitch was probably the best five and two-thirds innings I've ever seen in a Mets uniform. Now, probably too young to see some of Doc's performances in 85, but I saw plenty of David Cohn's performances. I saw plenty of Pedro Martinez's performance in a Mets uniform. Matt Harvey, elite Noah Syndergaard, DeGrom and Cy Young seasons. What I saw yesterday was a guy that, I think it was Keith who said it was like the big kid against the little kids in Little League. People have used the video game cheat code, crazy stratomatic numbers you want to put up there, whatever. The guy wasn't going to be hit. They couldn't touch his slider. I mean, give Harris credit. That probably uh, you know wore out DeGrom a little bit. And the craziest part about DeGrom, this is how scary this is for the opposition, is that he has this five and two-thirds. He walks away with that, gave up a couple of runs, so the numbers don't indicate how dominant he was. If you just look at the box score, you're like, that's a really good outing. But the best outing, Mike, you've ever seen? I don't care about what game score says and all that stuff. He was angry that he didn't finish it off. He was angry, and he you know, even told John Harper. John Harper wrote about it over SMY that he made a bad pitch and he had, and his location was off in those last two at-bats and he was angry about it. There was an article in Sports Illustrated and I highly recommend you read it where they peel behind the scenes of DeGrom and they show you a DeGrom that has a bit of a weird sense of humor and a lighter type of guy that's not this, I don't know if I want to call like he's probably more cerebral or you know in, introvert or a guy that we really... After all these years, the only thing we really know about DeGrom is the DeGrom that's on the mound. Guy that we know really nothing about. I think that's going to change as the Mets get into the postseason, get deeper. And I will tell you this. After Saturday night, when Scherzer went out there and you heard the clips and the highlights and basically said, this is a tired team. This is a team that's uh, bullpen was depleted because uh, of some... uh, Bad pitching by a young, a young, well, not so young pitcher, but a 4A type pitcher that that made it even worse on Saturday in Yoan Lopez. And Scherzer went out there and just dominated the Braves and was the ace. He has been what you want out of an ace. He gives you length. He steps up in big moments when he doesn't have his best stuff. He still keeps you in the ball game. He never spirals out of control. And for a while here, as DeGrom wasn't in our face, you started to say, well, Scherzer's really the better pitcher. And I still think because he could go deeper and because what I've seen out of Scherzer and his resume is longer and he's been able to do more than DeGrom uh, and we'll see how time goes on, how that plays out. But you forgot how good DeGrom is. And now DeGrom is back and you're looking at these two guys and you're like, gosh. 
Mets could really step on the gas here, get themselves a bye, get themselves one of the top two spots in the National League, wait a week for the three wildcard teams and the other division winner to beat themselves up, and really be set up well in a division series where you're going to face these two guys three out of five games, and the downgrade is a Bassett. And then you might be able to get a relief appearance out of one of them. Maybe. I mean, that's that's incredible. That's crazy. I don't care how, I don't care if you have the San Diego offense, if you're the Dodgers, if you're the Braves, if you're the Phillies. I don't want any part of that. That's a whole different, this is a whole different thing in October. So you dare to dream after watching the Grom. You're starting to see everything come together. You're starting to see the rotation come together at a high level. I mean, when Carrasco and Walker, who have excellent years, all-star year, arguably, for Walker, are you're back in the rotation and you're soft underbelly in the rotation, uh, you're in a good place. And what can you say about Diaz? Guy comes in unexpectedly in game two of the doubleheader. Bink, bang, boom. First game, and I thought Buck was excellent with the way he managed the series. I thought it was important. I was so annoyed at Gary Cohen on Thursday night. He can't go two innings with Diaz. What about tomorrow? What about the doubleheader? And I'm thinking to myself, Gary, you got to win today. This is a tough team. you got to make a statement. you got to guarantee. The goal of this series was to keep the Braves from gaining any ground. That was three out of five. They did one better than that. And the way you make that happen is you focus on today's game. Because worst-case scenario is you, you lose the next game. You're back to where you were when you walked into the series. You have to focus on today. You can't burn your pitchers out. But Diaz taking the ball, going two innings. He was starting to bend a little bit there. He got a break from Arcia. But you make your own breaks when you have that kind of stuff. And he navigated a tough part of the lineup uh, the inning before and made it look easy. Diaz is starting to prepare himself for October. Came in, game two of the doubleheader, no problem. Got the job done. I mean, Lindor made a good play on Contreras up the middle. But then Rosario got blown away. And then yesterday, I mean, you could see Riley just, who, who was actually talking. There was an interview during, I think, the first game. I can't remember if it was the first or the second game. Uh, and I think it was Gelbs that went to talk to Riley about the difference in, in Diaz. And he just said, it's not like I'm missing these pitches or I'm swinging under them. These are pitches that I can't hit. So you've got, basically, you've got 24 outs figured out. You hope you could get your DeGrom to seven innings. But in the postseason, with the proper rest and maintenance, and cross your fingers and knock on a lot of wood for good fortune, because there's nothing you could do about health. We don't talk about healthier. You've got 24 outs figured out right now. You've got 24 outs not every ball game because you're not going to push them every ball game for the rest of the year. But when you need it in the postseason, big series like against uh, Atlanta, like we saw today, big game they need at any point if they want to start pushing it for the best record of the National League or certainly to maintain that 1-2 status, uh, which should happen if they continue to even play 500 baseball with the way that they've set themselves up in this division and, and with overall on a really good uh, pace to win 100 games. You have 24 outs figured out. I don't care if it's Scherzer, uh, if it's Carrasco, if it's Walker. Um, you know, maybe those guys a little less, but you could push those guys. Bassett, you've got seven innings uh, conceivably figured out. And you've got Diaz. So just simple math says, I got to figure out three outs. Now that's where this thing gets 
I'm going to throw a little bit of a wet blanket over the weekend because that's where heartbreak could happen. And it almost did happen this weekend. Because you had to push Diaz so much on Thursday because you don't have enough trustworthiness in that bullpen. Um, you almost saw that lead slip away. The first game of the doubleheader, inexcusable. The one thing I'll say about Atlanta, they almost turned that series around by simply, similar to how the Mets turned the series around by by pushing the Braves on Friday night uh, in a loss in a game that looked like to be a blowout. The Braves, by getting Diaz in that game one, basically said, you know, I give myself a shot because Scherzer's not going to go more than seven innings, at least in their mind. And if they work Scherzer, kind of like how the Mets work their starters, they might have been able to get him out even earlier, but that's Scherzer doesn't play that game. And that's where you saw, because Adovino had to come in, uh, you know, and, and go a little deeper. Lugo still, the problem with Lugo is not, I, I'm starting to figure this out. It's not that Lugo is, he's not the same Lugo. We've had that conversation. It's that he, and he's always been this, he's so mercurial where everything has to align right for him to be on. It seems like he has to warm up. He has to come at the perfect time. If the up and down is too long, he's not good and sharp the second inning. You have to really, it's like maintaining a, a garden, a very finicky uh, plant. And that's very difficult. And that was always the issue back in the in the latter half of 2019 is that Lugo could really only give you two out of five days, maybe three out of five. And the back-to-back was iffy and you didn't want to go more than an inning. And that's ultimately why that bullpen just couldn't uh, keep up and, and the Mets would lose at that point. But... It's going to be, I mean, Adovino's having a great year, and you're going to have to rely. Basically, at this point, the Yankees signed Adovino to be their setup guy to Chapman back in 20, uh, what, 18, 19. And he was pretty good that first year. His walk rate is down. He's dropped his walk rate by 50% or more. That's huge. You know, it looks like they're working with him. But that's the guy you're going to have to rely on. That's going to be your high-leverage eighth-inning guy. You're going to have to figure out, if your starter only goes six, you're going to have to figure out an additional maybe four, five, six outs. And that's where in a postseason game, now as you get deeper into a game six or a game seven or a decisive game, just like you saw in 2015 when Syndergaard came out of the bullpen and gave you an inning, you'll be able to bridge that gap a little bit better with a starter. Somebody in the rotation is going to go to the bullpen, whether it be Carrasco or Walker, depending on who is better suited for that role. You have McGill and you have Peterson potentially giving you a righty-lefty dominant tandem. You know, Peterson's, uh, if he can only just throw strikes, a lot less likely he could cross over a lot more. McGill's dominant against righties. Lefties, not so much. So you have those options, potentially. I'm not looking to put McGill into any kind of conversation because I don't know how he's going to come back for the shoulders. Shoulders are a whole different thing. But the real thing you learned this weekend, not that we, we knew the Mets, we knew this about the Mets, is that the inability to add Robertson. And that's where I think ultimately if you get angry at Billy Epler, and we don't know, I mean, it sounds like the kind of prospect that uh, the Phillies gave, even though he's the back half of their organization, has the potential to be a Matt Allen type. And I don't know how I feel about giving up Matt Allen for David Robertson, a rental. That's the kind of, that's the Larry Anderson for Jeff Bagwell trade that the Mets want to avoid. And their eyes was incremental improvement. But I got to tell you, I had David Robertson in this bullpen. 
I'd be talking a lot more confidently about not only finishing this job in the division, but their chances in a postseason series. That's the past. Uh, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. Michael Givens, uh, guy that has a decent resume. Buck knows him. When Buck knows somebody, he trusts them. I mean, look how they brought back Tommy Hunter, another Buck favorite, which that's bad news that his back is hurting him, considering that's what knocked him out last year. And he might be giving you whatever he's left in the tank, and I don't know if that's going to get you through the end of the year. And he would have been the perfect guy to come in with these five, six-run leads and get the the final outs, a veteran that's not going to walk guys. That's what I liked about what I saw about Tommy Hunter, even though I didn't think he was high leverage. So they're going to have to figure out three outs at least, three to four outs. Now in the postseason, it, it, it's a lot easier. But the rest of the year, especially when you have games like the, sec- uh, the game yesterday where Buck said he didn't have everybody available and he's not going to burn them out to win. He had already won the series against Atlanta. Uh, things might get dicey. You might have a couple of heartbreak losses because of this bullpen. Games that Scherzer and DeGrom just dominate, but the offense on the other side, depending on who's pitching, doesn't put enough separation, or there is separation, and the bullpen's just bad. I mean, I could easily see some members of this bullpen, if you get out of the Diaz out of Vino, uh, not holding a two-run lead. You know, it was... You're stressed out about a five-run lead with the Braves. Now, part of that is the type of team they are with the power they have. So, you know, the Mets may have to, and this is why I tweeted about it. They may have to see. Go back into into history. Again, we go back to history. And the Mets have been able to, whether it be Guillermo Moto, um, Fernando Salas back in 2016 was huge down the stretch. Now, that bullpen was good in, for six outs. They had Addison Reed and Familia. But Salas came in and gave them that extra three outs they needed when a Cologne or one of their starters, especially when their starters went down, they had they also had Gazelman and Lugo who were able to bridge uh, more of an, in the rotation at that time. But if they had gotten to the postseason, you might have been able to see them give them some big outs uh, out of the bullpen. You know, certainly, that's what Lugo became. Can they go and find a scrap heap? Can they find their moto? Because it a moto. Uh, there's no more deals. They found Brad Hand last year. Joe Smith is out there. Jake McGee is out there. And these guys have been bad. And I know the peripherals. But bring them in and see what happens. Now, I know they're on. I think both are on waivers. So let's see who claims them. But that's the kind of crap that the Yankees have done years, year after year after year. You know, these guys go to Houston and all of a sudden they, you know, whether it be spider tack or whatever, they're all of a sudden, who are these guys? Not the lottery ticket at this point is not the most ideal situation. The bullpen, but Brad Hand came over last year and did a pretty good job. You have to find an opportunistic situation. Is Jake McGee that? Certainly, they need a lefty. Joely Rodriguez pitched really well yesterday. The Braves swung at the pitches, the the sliders that uh, they needed to swing at. I think if you look at Joely Rodriguez, the problem is the walks. He's a left-handed uh, Castro. I couldn't take Castro. This guy basically is left-handed Castro. I mean, he's better than Castro, in my opinion, in some ways. But, I mean, if he was a situational lefty, I'd have no problems with him. And his peripherals are, I mean, his his FIP is 3.56. It's not bad. His strikeouts are 11 per nine. It's that he walks close to, uh, you know, walks actually not close, it's six per nine. The other thing I wonder, and I don't, you know, and things change when they're, uh, and he's thrown in a situation that they're behind and he just got to eat innings or they're way ahead. Trevor Williams has become dominant. 
Now, there's a lot of contact there, but his strikeout rate is high. What I like about Trevor Williams, what I always liked when they got him, is that he's a guy that he's not a complete contact guy. They make more contact than, you know, he's not striking out 10, 11, 12 per nine. But his walks are low. He throws strikes. He doesn't seem to beat himself. And I'm not saying that you want him as your back in the rotation starter, but he's a guy, he's almost like Darren Oliver in that 06 team coming out of there and giving them those bridge innings, those quality bridge innings that you need. Because, and, and it's a shame that he pitched uh, on Friday because, I mean, the problem is, and I don't know what Adonis, he's back Adonis Medina. Let's see what comes of that. Um, I don't know, uh, you know, this Juan Lopez, I, I don't know what to even think of him. I mean, he's just not my type of pitcher. Throws hard, has a good arm, does not throw strikes. You know, just... Kerosene on the fire. Totally. The only negative in this whole weekend was I was so disgusted by that outing on Saturday afternoon. So unacceptable with a six-run, bottom of the order, by the way, lead. I know it's the Braves that he couldn't get those final outs. So disgusted. Beyond disgusted on it. That was the one negative. And and that could come back to hurt them. Somebody's got to step up. A Medina... Uh, I don't know if it's going to be Lopez. I mean, Givens has got to pitch better. You're hoping that he's not coming over here and getting New York-itis or being thrown into the big spotlight, and all of a sudden he's... I mean, because he hasn't pitched in a lot of big games in his career. I mean, yeah, with the Orioles, they had some good seasons he was there. But for the most part, if you look at his resume, he's, you know, he hasn't really been on uh, first division clubs. You're relying on a lot of ifs. McGill coming back with a, out of the bullpen, I should say. McGill coming back from a shoulder. Peterson being able to come out of the bullpen and throw some strikes. When Peterson throws strikes, he's sliders deadly. Just he's another one drives me crazy. Finds a way, but makes you wonder, you know, are they lucky a little bit like Spencer Strider said? And don't forget Trevor May. See, Trevor May is the one I keep forgetting about. And he was okay on Saturday. I don't think I mean, look, Contreras hit a fastball and it just went. I mean, that's the Brave what you saw against May, that's the Braves game. They take fastballs and they hit them far. The thing about May, I looked at some of his peripheral uh, uh, numbers on baseball savant. It's about location. Is he able to locate? Is he able to stay healthy? The velocity seems to be there. I know he's trying to throw some change-ups and become more of a pitcher than a thrower. It's a good thought process. Hard to do coming off the injured list after eight weeks or so and, and do it in August. But kudos. Something that he might want to think about more in the offseason. Um, Trevor May is going to be important. They're going to need him to be as close to the guy that they paid to be the setup guy a year ago. They got from Minnesota, another home run prone, prone guy, but you know, look, that's, that's these guys who throw hard at the bullpen. That's who they are. So that's the real soft underbelly. That's the negative from the weekend, but that's where you're at. There's nothing you can do. The only thing you can do is go to the scrap heap, and figure out, you know, figure out if there's something, some magic beans and pixie dust. Is there magic beans and pixie dust to be had? And finally, and I'm going to wrap up here. This is going to be one of those State of the Union shows. You got my trade deadline. Just wanted to come to you straight. Finally, the fans, City Field. I was very critical of the fans a few weeks ago in, uh, during the Hernandez retirement ceremony in that weekend series against the, the Marlins. I said, they're tight. They're tight again. The atmosphere is tight at City Field. The team is tight. We're back to this. The home field advantage that the City Field should be, which we've seen it be, especially in 2015. It needs to be better. 
And I didn't think the fans this weekend, even when, and I wonder if it's because of the specter of Diaz. Even when the Braves were making some moves, they were looking a little bit dicey on Saturday afternoon, game one. All of us were getting tight. I didn't sense the same negative energy. As a matter of fact, I feel like the Mets were almost flying high. Uh, and I don't think the Braves were scared of the City Field crowd or intimidated. They're the world champs. Let's face it. They've seen big crowds. But it wasn't a comfortable place to play. You have this team that's making contact. Yeah, they're getting some breaks, but they're grinding every at-bat. They got these elite pitchers. Some of this stuff you can't even see. Now you got shadows. And then you have this crowd and the energy that it gives your opposition, a tough opponent in a neutral environment. And you got yourself a a series that very easily the Mets could have taken all five games. Very easily. So what's next? Now it's this is what you're going to see as you go throughout the rest of the year. You're going to have a big series against Atlanta. Then you have a team that's playing a little bit better, Cincinnati. You don't want them to come in and spoil everything you've done by getting a letdown. Those are the stub your toe series. Same situation like you had against the Nats a week ago. Then the Phillies come in. The Phillies have been playing 20 games over 500 since June 1st. No Bryce Harper. You know, Schwarber could come in and hit a billion home runs in two, three games. And you're going to you know see them for the first time in a while. The Mets uh, handled them pretty well early, but that's another tough team. And then it's back to Atlanta. And Atlanta's going to be looking for revenge, and uh, we'll see. Have the Mets got to the point where... Not that they own the Braves, but the Braves now, do they adjust? Is there a way for them to adjust how they pitch the Mets? Um, Are they figuring Diaz out? They've seen a lot out of him. I mean, they're going to see everybody. I mean, when you play everybody consistently over and over in a short span of time, the scouting reports and the video and all that stuff is available, and it's easy, but you get some familiarity. Maybe Scherzer's not as scary. Maybe Diaz is not as scary. That soft underbelly of the bullpen, maybe they figured out a way to, you know, to figure it out. So... Great weekend. It's a taking care of business weekend. That's what this show's theme is, taking care of business. That's what it's about the rest of the year. When you play Atlanta, even if you're par, and like Brendan Nimmo said, if it wasn't for the fact that I wanted to give you a special intro, probably the Brendan Nimmo quote, it's going to be tough for them. They got to win all their games left against the Mets pretty much to make up the deficit they're at now, seven games. And they got to hope, if they don't do that, they got to hope that the Mets stub their toe continuously and that they play, you know, 700 baseball. I kept telling you, the Braves, good team. There's no way you could play 700 baseball. For Look at the Yankees. Everybody had the Yankees win 120 games. They've come back down to earth. Just very hard for a myriad of reasons. And as I told you, I'll leave you with this. That Get the NBA bingo card out. It's like a basketball game. You get ahead. It tightens up. Maybe you fall behind or you get really close, make a big defensive play, three-pointer. Then you look up into the third quarter. We're in the fourth quarter now. You have a seven-point lead. You got a little separation. Now it's about finishing the job at hand. And this team, like Buck has said, takes things seriously. They uh, bring it even when they're tired, even when the conditions. You have heat advisories out there. I mean, you think it was fun playing two games on Saturday? I mean, give Billy Epler and Buck did. We thought it was Buck that did it, that pushed the the game to 4 o'clock. Smart move, that vision. I mean, this is the kind of front office, the kind of organization you have now. They're thinking ahead. They're playing chess. They're not playing checkers. And that's a good place to be. And that's why this is going to be a really tough out in the postseason, this Mets team. Even they were going to be without DeGrom. But now with DeGrom, I would want to play them. 
All right, I want to thank everybody for tuning in for this very long State of the Union for the Mets. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire if you want to interact with me. Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. And I want to welcome the good folks from the fan side of the podcasting network as well as risingapple.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another podcast next week. And stay tuned. I got things in the hopper. Till then, take care, everybody. so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.